0: Hello and welcome to our podcast, Inspiring Ideas. I am Madhu and my co-host is Abhinav Raji. We are lifelong learners and wanted to unearth the secret sauce of successful people across the globe and package it up to the community. We firmly believe each episode will inspire you to find your passion and follow your dreams.
1: Our guest today is a disciplined leader and a senior academic in computer science, and software engineering from RMIT University. His area of expertise is in cutting-edge technologies, including artificial intelligence, mixed reality, and interactive applications. This Inspiring Idea podcast is for anyone who wants to learn about changes required post-COVID to deliver impactful teaching methods through online teaching, and also looking at exploring career opportunities in the field of artificial intelligence, We'll also deep dive on hot topics of artificial intelligence, mixed reality, and games. We are so excited to have Fabio in our show. Welcome, Fabio. How are you going today?
2: Really good. Thanks, Sabin. Thanks, Malu, for having me.
1: Uh, Fabio, you are a senior academician in the field of artificial intelligence. And I'm curious, how did you get into this space? And what were the key decisions that you made along the journey?
2: So uh, it, it's really, really hard, I guess, uh, f- like for everybody. One one is used to looking at, um, you know, the, the tip of the iceberg, not knowing that, you know, there have been many, many minute and very small decisions uh, in someone's life. So um, I guess, you know, um, it, it's really hard to uh, pinpoint something specifically and in many ways, people tend to look at someone's outcome in a career as the tip mm-hmm. of the iceberg. But, yeah. you know, there have been lots of very small uh, uh, small micro decisions that somehow influence the outcome. Um, yeah. One thing that has always been critical for me is that since I was little, and, you know, here we're really talking about being four or five years old or something like that, I've always liked being into computers. I've always been interested in computer science and graphics and AI and so on and so forth. So it's always been a career inspiration. Um, But strangely enough, at the same time as being an archaeologist. So when I was six, I wanted to do both. Um, Oh,
1: that's interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah. So and and maybe I'll come back to this, but uh, my whole life has been a constant of, you know, uh, computer science has been my career, but I've always loved humanities very much. And and that's made me better in many ways. Um, But yeah, that, that aside, I guess, you know, the critical point was my mom asked me when I was, uh, I guess, seven or eight, would you like a bike or a computer? I went for the computer and then the rest is uh, kind of history. Um, and, you know, I, one of my cousins studied as an electronical engineer. So I've yeah. always seen him, he, he was about 10 years older. So mm-hmm. I've always seen him making stuff with circuits and programming, uh, you know, little boards. So that, that only amplified so I always, when, when uh, we, we were used to uh, going back to Italy and, you know, catch up with them for Christmas, yeah, uh, you know, I always uh, reminded him, you see, you have actually created a professor of computer science. You know, it All was a right. responsibility in a way. Um, so, you know, lots of small things, but I guess, you know, out of randomness, what I felt was a passion I actually pursued. And then, of course, I stuck with it. So that's the other big part. You know, that, that nothing you want to do at a good level can never be done unless you really really stick with it hard you know like my whole life has been um i'm I'm 40 something now so i started when i was four or five my whole life has been about 40 years of keeping at it in one way or another so you know uh, obviously proficiency only comes with doing it again and again and again and again in a way
1: yeah that's so true and like as you clearly said that The passion plays a really important role and that shows in the amount of work that you've done. We've been researching on you and the great amount of work that you've done. I think you could only achieve it if you have a passion and dedication towards that particular field. So great work, Fabio. Thank
0: you. That's wonderful to hear your story, buddy. So in terms of the current situation and keeping in mind, the uh, companies are forcing themselves to innovate, right? So an education sector is no different. So I've been personally associated with RMIT uh, for quite a while now. And RMIT, if if I see it, they are always thinking ahead in terms of future thinking. And uh, what do you think from your perspective, the universities are taking certain steps to transform the way the education is is, uh, delivered? And what are the key operating model changes that you have seen so far?
2: Yeah. So it, it's really a, an incredibly uh, disruptive time for universities in Australia, but worldwide as well. Mm. But of course, in Australia, our uh, funding model is also something that I not necessarily fully agree with. is largely based on the fact that we have a large influx of international students. Um, so, of course, international students haven't been able to come in usual numbers. So that, is a, that has actually caused pressure for Australian universities. Um, What is going to cause in terms of our teaching model, I think, is it's going to disrupt it more and make it uh, probably more of a blended mode. Of course, we'll go back to campus eventually. There's no uh, doubts about that. But um, the important thing is that out of this whole crisis, the universities that will survive will be the ones that will be able to really deliver the much hype that never quite fully realized sort of blended mode of some campus some online but done really well and most people don't do it well it's because it's exceptionally hard to do it well I I don't want to sound like um, you know a smart ass here Uh, it's very difficult so that's the reason why not many people uh, do it because it's hard to do well Um, but also I guess in terms of how the experience is going to work on campus We'll, we'll witness changes as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I can't really go into too many details because this is really uh, sort of um, a trick shot for uh, 2021. But in 2021, uh, RMIT Computer Science is actually changing completely the way our first year is going to work across okay. our major degrees, Computer Science, Software Engineering, and uh, Games Programming. Um, all combining into a first year where there's going to be a much bigger emphasis on working uh, in a more holistic fashion uh, without um, having scattered crosses all along the place, looking at how we can bring the synergies of different units together in a more hands on experience. So, you know, uh, our open day is going to be full of, uh, you know, talks about that. But um, th- there's an idea, as far as we are concerned anyway, that will change. Our things are going to work on campus when we go back on campus, but also our online offerings will change and somehow we'll start blending with our own campus offerings too. So we, we, we need to change. Can't, we, need to, can't wait for,
0: we can't wait for that because that's going to be a very interesting aspect for uh, anyone who's listening who want to pursue uh, something from the on, RMIT University.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, we will um, You know, drop in, in our uh, online Uh, open day, uh, I think, 7th and 8th of August. Yep.
1: Awesome. Uh, Fabio, I also know that you take a lot of lectures and I recently saw a great presentation by you and how you have transformed your teaching methods for online learning. Like, I'm sure this would be a bit of a challenge for you. Can you share your experiences and what you've done?
2: Yeah. So this has been really, I suppose, the challenge of the year. For um, not just like university lecturers, but, you know, you get a feel for all the teachers in primary and secondary schools, of course, with different grades and uh, shades of complexities. Uh, But, yeah, for us, I can say, you know, that our biggest drama was that this happened uh, right bang into semester. So, you know, we were on campus. We had been teaching uh, on campus for three weeks and then the lockdown hit us. Um, and the university told us, rightly so, before even the government said so, start to work from home and we'll move our teaching online. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because we gotta be safe and uh, that, that was a very good decision early on. Um, so we had to change everything, uh, pretty much a point blank. And so what I did there is I realized straight away that doing an online lecture that goes on for two hours in a synchronous way as it would on campus would be a disaster. Because you don't have the uh, facial and social cues you have on campus, but also, you know, God knows how many dramas could there be in real time in terms of MBN uh, downtimes for students, for me, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what I did was I decided that I was going to break my lecture material mm-hmm. into little snippets uh, mm-hmm. that mirror my textbook. So, every uh, subsection, in my textbook would become a bite-sized 10-15 minutes video where I would explain that and jump into code examples. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bear in mind, I was teaching our first programming course, essentially, uh, Java 101 sort of course. Um, And then those snippets would be given to the students, say, on Monday morning. Then the students would have a full week to go over those. The videos would have embedded uh, forms where they could submit questions then I would go through the questions on Friday, curate answers. And then on the Monday after I would come into some sort of Q and A session. Right. Yeah. And the Q and A session kind of transforming, uh, transforming into a YouTuber of sort. you know, I'm there and I'm giving, you know, a little bit of a show about, okay, these are the answers. And by the way, you know, your assignment is coming up and, you know, if you looked at the uh, COVID app that the government has put out, all these sort of things, right? So it was a very strange experience. It was partly technical, partly try to reassure them, partly almost uh, social work to keep them motivated to do the work. Um, so it was very challenging that way, but I felt it was quite rewarding. I, I've had um, uh, the highest number of emails from students ever, Telling me, you know, you you made us survive uh, this semester, which you know made me very happy. In fact.
1: That's that's fantastic, and I think it's a uh, it's more difficult I know for you because you're trying to teach software engineering and coding, uh, and that you're trying to do it online. Yeah. But I think what you said, this could also be implemented for all the other kind of teachings as well, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. So it was really interesting. So my school, I'm I'm part of a large. Uh, school department of science so we have Mm -hmm. all the sciences together and we are one discipline within that the largest computer sciences lots of students but we also have physics and biology and uh, chemistry and so on so we had the showcase of uh, the most innovative approaches and I was one of the seven eight who gave that first cut of innovative approach Um, and methods that, uh, you know, might actually make, uh, you know, the the whole bunch of lectures survive in the future. Um, And so that that went really well. Uh, And in fact, I've had uh, probably four or five colleagues who are trialing variations uh, this semester. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is the new uh, upcoming second semester now. So, yeah, it's been challenging. It's been rewarding. uh, But I think, you know, it's given us a bit of a template to try out a few variations around that nothing is perfect in teaching you try the first time around and then you improve upon it it's um it's funny uh teaching is quite similar to experimental research you know why yeah
1: and uh, fabio you have i think i uh, just want to know from you are you using any new tools uh mm-hmm. now
2: Yeah, so when we moved online, I guess, you know, uh, we we had been lucky that the university had already transitioned uh, to uh, Office uh, 365. Um, RMIT is the largest Office 365 organization in Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a massive enterprise license, and so that was very useful um, because, uh, so for a start, uh, uh, we could use Microsoft Teams off the bat, um, and, and that worked really well. Um, I, I had a lot of experience myself. Uh, last year, I spent my sabbatical at Microsoft, um, so Microsoft Garage. So I, I was, <laughs> and I have context in the Microsoft Teams software mm. development. So I've actually witnessed firsthand uh, Teams being brought into the world uh, That's to some extent. Exciting. Uh, you know,
0: was so exciting.
2: Very well positioned. I, I knew how to work around it. Um, and, you know, the students. Um, you know, we're a bit rusty at the beginning, then i visited them in and then they got used to it. So, you know, uh, that was very useful. Um, of course, uh, Office 365 has a streaming service called Stream, that mm-hmm. all the videos recording in Teams could be attached to. And then Microsoft Forms could be embedded into Stream. Um, and then uh, we also used a whole plethora of recording tools, um, OBS Studio for record by the universities themselves, to be honest. Mm-hmm. We put lots of our lectures online, um, but also some of the very big. Um, uh, um, it, it's exceptional. If if you ever need it, you too might need it uh, for recording. You know, but, <laughs> absolutely, that's, that's phenomenal. True. Constant of, you know, uh, computer science has been my career, but I've always loved humanities very much, and, and that's made me better. So that's it's I think phenomenal. That, like, I think that's great because we all are
1: working from home and i'm like you're taking lectures from home and you've got the family and the dog and you know
2: yeah. and I think it's, it's it's challenging isn't it so that's really good it's it's very challenging before that tool was uh, was actually in a good usable state mm-hmm. um i was actually recording my lectures in the in the height of the night it was very very tiring. Uh, i think there are many scientists and arrogance where we say, you know, we can explain away God. No, you can't. You know, are, I can't record at 2am even because the dog is barking, you know. So, yeah.
0: You talk it's about all these, um, uh, Fabio, in terms of uh, the tools that you are using and trying out yeah. and experimenting. And I'm just trying to go back to the BC. Uh, and, you know, so BC in this case, what I'm referring to is the before Corona. <laughs> and uh, after, after Corona, so even, even when you're talking about the before Corona, we had the virtual assistants guiding students, yeah. constantly reminding them about the assignments that are coming up or any lectures that are coming up, notes that they could refer to. I think universities across the world started using it and we can, we eventually saw a huge uptake in terms of students taking the course seriously, getting to the completion and is that trend also the same after corona and are there any specific cases where you could think of the virtual assistants are now becoming even more smart
2: the mere virtue of our vision system um yeah. imagining another species of aliens that okay we don't know. Yeah, look. Well, um, when it comes to that, I'm really biased. So my my PhD was on uh, embodied conversational agents. So I'm not gonna tell there you, you go. that bad, right. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, uh, but but you know we've come a very very long way since then. Um, you know. Um, so my PhD was on that, and, and I had um, and I built uh, this 3D persona. It was a 3D face that could chat to you. And, you know, it would interface to Amazon.com. Uh, so, th- this was um, in the early 2000s, so about 20 years ago. Sorry? Uh, really?
0: Can you come again? 2000?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I started in 2001, yes. Wow. So I, I came up with one of those things. I, I completed in 2004. Um, so, yeah, I was, in the early 2000s, I was working on this kind of stuff. And I had this... um Sort of 3D persona that could chat to you via, you know, text chat. Of yeah. course, you they use uh, keyboard. Uh, voice recognition wasn't solid enough yet, uh, but we had a prototype where we could do that, uh, very slow. Um, and then uh, this could interface to Amazon.com, so where we'd have uh, essentially a clerk for Amazon.com. You could chat to them and say, "Could you please find all the science fiction books?" by, um, I don't know, Adam Clark in your catalog and, you know, the, the uh, persona would spit out all the stuff in your web page. Um, and uh, the, the interesting thing is that there was a machine learning component there uh, whereby we had a training application that could train the clerk uh, behavior offline by the headset. It's just we don't think about it. We don't know what the universe is. We just perceive it. The way mode uh, that you could uh, use for the application and that, that's so incredible
0: that. that's really incredible I mean, uh, with my little experience in ai and conversation interface you're blowing me away because you're talking about something that you have done in 2000 and people are yeah, still yeah. so
2: that was still um, trying to understand yeah yeah so that was. was 2001 to 2004 5 and then 2005 i came to australia to get my rmit job essentially beautiful
1: beautiful fantastic yeah.
2: Uh, Fabio, you've got a lot of experience in artificial intelligence, uh, yeah. mixed
1: realities, interactive applications. Now, there are so many jargons that are used today. Yeah. We call AR, VA, MR, ER, and whatnot. It starts to get confusing, to be honest. Uh, it'll be good if you can explain this concept at a high level for our
2: audience. Yes, yes, yes. So, look, let, let's start from the really simple form of reality, right? So, yeah. the reality we see outside out the door. So that's reality. Mm -hmm. We assume that's reality. Now, I'm going to come back to that. That's going to be a little bit of a bad news or interesting news, I suppose. But let's assume there is a reality out there, okay? Now, if we assume that's our own physical reality, then uh, you can imagine that, you know, that's almost like the extreme on a line, okay? On the left side. Mm -hmm. On the full right side, we have what we call virtual reality. So you're completely separated from the physical reality. You put on a headset and you're fully immersed. Imagine, you know, a 3D reality similar to a game, but because of this headset, you're almost like in a different place, okay? Now, everything in between is what we call mixed reality, okay? It's a combination of physical and virtual. To some extent. So your body is stimulated, but physical reality is somehow um, intermixed, interleaved with physical content. And usually you see it through a headset. Think about Microsoft HoloLens is one example, yeah. very high-end example, but also your mobile phone. You, know, mm-hmm. you can see through your mobile phone or your tablet, and that is also a form of mixed reality. Um, augmented reality is one specific Version of mixed reality where you overlap uh, physical reality with virtual content that you see in some sort of transparency, so the virtual content gets blended with the physical. But th- th- there's more ways in which you can be mixed. You know, for instance, sound can be mixed. levels of complexity. All of those from five to um, I guess 95. Anyone can try and chew all this. The way you got to conceptualize mixed reality or extended reality, which is, by the way, the same thing, um, is really mixing real and virtual. Um, One thing, though, going back to the original physical reality, and that's going to be a bit of bad news for people because most people don't think about this, but physical reality as well is a form of mixed reality, right? And the reason why I say this is that we ourselves through our brain and our senses, have, in fact, a headset. It's just we don't think about it. We don't know what the universe is. We just perceive it the way so we So I think do. It's,
1: it's, it's as simple as that we see the sky blue, but it is actually, maybe it's not
2: blue, right? Correct. That, that's <laughs> because the mere virtue of our vision system. Um, yeah. Imagining another species of aliens that, okay, we don't know if they are there, they might yeah. see it purple, who knows, right? So in many ways, physical reality is the way it is because we perceive yeah. for, um not just like university lecturers, but you know, you get a feel for all the teachers in primary and secondary schools. Of course, somehow virtual virtualized by our brain. Yeah.
0: And that, that answers, uh, you know, that answer that I'm kind of think about how Spirituality and science collide <laughs> that's a superb answer.
2: yeah yeah that's right mm. that's right i mean it's 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 really interesting, and you know I have lots of discussions uh, with with many friends I have lots of friends and family who are very religious people um, and you know i 'm not so much, but I actually feel that everybody needs to look for their own answer about what the universe is uh, yeah. I, I give for granted that, you know, science is the best tool to understand, um, you know, physical reality.
0: That's, um, true.
2: And, That's and true. experimental reality. However, not everything can be explained by science either. Mm. True. And mm. so it's a big mistake. Uh, I think there are many scientists in arrogance where we say, you know, we can explain away God. No, you can't. You know, there, there, are, you know, there are You know, stick to what you do best. Yeah. Right? I'm going to bring
0: you back to this question. Um, I'm, I'm going to bring you back to the question. You, there's, a, there's a whole heaps of uh, uh, things that we saw for the audience. Now, in terms of the, the best use case that you could think of in, in a real life, uh, I know we can talk about many industries, many use cases. What's your top, maybe top two use cases that you could think of in a real world uh, using all of these technologies? which
2: is making a difference to humanity. I think pretty much, uh, this is going to sound really broad and then I'll make it narrower with an example from one thing we built ourselves as well, right? So I think everything that can benefit from what we now call spatial computing, the idea of understanding the space in which you're in and then exploiting it is going to be a great application. So an example is the... um, a concept video that Google put out of next generation of Google Maps, right? So Google Maps has a flat user interface on your phone now. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, you know, you follow the directions on the phone and there is a GPS. And so you can follow it quite well uh, most of the time. However, as you know, you get at a complex intersection or crowded street or a road that maybe is not there on the map yet. And, you know, you make mistakes and you start spinning around uh, like, like a crazy uh, little spinny object. But what Google explained how Mixed Reality could fix that is by understanding the space around you. What they could do is they could superimpose, imagine even something simple as an arrow that guides you into doing the turns left and right and the direction. So imagine that you are in your car in the ideal situation. Your car itself is an arrow pointing you in the right direction on the mirror, saying, you know, now turn left, turn right. And of course, there, there would be a vocal assistant as well, saying, turn left, turn right. But then you have the visuals, uh, literally having an arrow on the road, telling you go this way. So that way you can't be wrong, you yeah, know. <laughs> Um, it, it's exceptional if, if you ever need it, you too might need it uh, for recording. You know, <laughs> absolutely. That, that's, that's phenomenal. True. So I would be <laughs> happy using this. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. So that, that would be a very impactful, practical thing. Um, we did, uh, you know, much smaller version of this, but it was a really cool project as well. Uh, with uh given... Uh, department at RMIT, the RMIT city library, Um, so we work with the library staff and so what we did is we realized, uh, we implemented an app on Microsoft HoloLens that could actually give um, like induction tour of the library facilities. So you put the HoloLens on and what happens is you start at a central location and then basically you have almost like a waypointing system on the ground that you see in the airports, right? The the glowing lights uh, systems. Um, And the glowing light will guide you through all the main points of interest in the library so that you can say, this is the main reserve location. Uh, This is where you return the books. Uh, This is where the student quiet area is and so on. And we had a little bit of fun. You know, we had a balcony that we retrofitted as a virtual beach with crabs and fishes and, you know, all sort of, yeah. uh, you know, beach balls and so on. But yeah, so you can have fun with that. But the, the main thing that was really cool is that because the HoloLens understands the physical space, we could actually literally guide them through aromaticity uh, libraries about 600 square meters of space across two floors, right? So, you know, that that was quite an interesting project um, at at the high end of what spatial computing can do right now. That's really cool. That's really cool. Uh,
1: Fabio, I think uh, coming to the other topic is that uh, we all love playing games. And I remember uh, one of my favorite game when I was a kid was Mario. And I just want to check with you, like how you see the evolution of games due to the advancement in artificial intelligence.
2: Yeah, so it it is really, really funny. Um, So (laughs) games and artificial intelligence have uh, sort of converged uh, really quickly, almost overnight, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, a few years ago, uh, when Google had this notion of creating, uh, acquiring a startup called DeepMind, which then became Google DeepMind. And DeepMind is a very interesting company, who's CEO at worked in the uh, UK games industry. And, you know, the CEO um, decided to actually use AI, rather than try to change games using AI, to use games to prove the power of AI. So the reverse, right? Uh, using games to uh, try and advance the state of the art of what AI can do. And so they came up with this notion that they would actually try and... Um, improve learning in, in, uh, in AI, in machine learning, um, you know, uh, running uh, their algorithms on a battery of tests of retro-style Atari games, uh, you know, all these uh, glorious games of the old days. And then, of course, other people have been using also Super Mario and a few other things like that. Um, now, this is really important to understand. Even something is old as that and uh, apparently simple as that, is a fundamental challenge for a computer to master, right? So for a computer to master that, they, they got to conceptualize what's going on. How do you improve the score to play that? Um, how do you navigate through a level? Uh, how do you recover from failure? So you want the computer to try and learn playing the game. That might be wrong time and time again. How do you recover from that failure and avoid making uh, big mistakes again? So what's happened over the space of about probably 10 years now, almost, is we've seen uh, lots of AI researchers making breakthroughs in AI by using games, which is really ironic. Of course, um, ironic because, you know, games used to be uh, looked almost downwards, saying, what are you doing? You're wasting time on games. Yeah still a bit of an element of that but uh things are improving but yeah of course it all um uh culminated in uh the big result you would have seen by google as well of yeah uh, you know uh ai beating uh the world champion at go um so go was considered um you know a board game that we'll never master you know or will master in probably 20 years time and so in the space of three four years it was fully mastered and almost made go irrelevant (laughs) it's it's kind of um, incredible uh, result beautiful beautiful
0: and for our audience right so we talked mostly about uh, all of the cutting-edge technologies now there are people who have already immersed themselves into some of this and they're constantly improving themselves and there are also people who are new so how do you advise them uh, and take them to a journey where they can make uh, successful in terms of their career and maybe uh, some of their side projects also is something that they can pursue.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, this is a typical question that, again, we we answer at Open Day, um, you know, comes up all the time. I think, you know, if you're interested in all those uh, games, AR, VR, MR, Uh, as well as uh, artificial intelligence. I think there are two big building blocks here uh, in terms of the technicals. Uh, One big building block is mathematics. Um, So there is no doubt that um, if you want to get into any one of those fields from the technical side of things, uh, you need to have solid mathematics, um, discrete mathematics to some extent, but also continuous mathematics. um, So the sort of engineering type mathematics too. Uh, calculus and, and uh, algebra uh, and on the other end of course programming you know there's lots of programming involved in software engineering um how can they start uh well you know everybody starts in a different way again i started as i said before with my side project when i was a little kid and i really advise kids who are interested to start playing around with anything they can chew. and sometimes they'll try to choose something Uh, that, you know, they're not going to be able to digest just yet. That happened to me so many times um, because I was trying to do things that were too ahead of my curve. Um, That's fine too, you know. Uh, You you try to master as much as you possibly can. And then your level of schooling improves. Um, And so you can deal with better mathematics and you understand the world better. Um, So you can do more. And then hopefully by the time maybe you, you come to university age, then you can pick uh, a university degree that fits that interest of yours. um, And, you know, absolutely go for it uh, if you can. Um, That shouldn't discourage people um, on the other side of the spectrum. People were already working, right? They might have made different career choices and now they want to change. So if you're a mature age student, uh, of course, you might come back to uni, but you may not need to either. there is an incredible amount of content. Sometimes it's put out by the universities themselves, to be honest. Mm-hmm. We put lots of our lectures online, um, but also some of the very big um, uh, you know, tech companies like Microsoft, Google. Uh, there is a fantastic uh, AI aggregator called Kegel.com. Uh Kaggle is fantastic introductory courses and uh, basic resources to get you started in AI. So these days, it's actually quite the reverse. When I was a kid, it was very hard to get by great resources. You had to buy technical books, right? Technical books almost don't exist anymore because there is amazing content online that everybody can just go through for free. Um, The issue though is that there is so much content. So (laughs) you gotta be careful about what you try to learn from. but other than that, you know, uh, there's pretty much a possibility for anyone. Anyone can learn uh, at different levels of complexity, all of those from five to, um, I guess, 95. Anyone can try and chew all this.
1: Great answer, Fabio. Fabio, there are there is sometimes a gap between the industry expectations and the academic knowledge gained by our students today. Can you suggest a couple of changes which are required to bridge this gap, especially in Australia?
2: Hmm. Okay, so I I think um, there's um, a couple of changes I I believe need to happen. Hmm. One from the point of view of the university and one from the point of view of industry. Um, Okay. So my personal opinion is that in many ways um, a university should not necessarily be the place where um, an individual is perfectly trained for a job. If they are, then what that means is that uh, we are actually only training people to do a very specific job, which is not good for the company, by the way, because that means the person is not flexible, is not adaptive, uh, is not well-rounded. And also, you know, the other important point is a university is not, and I've seen this, and I'm not super happy about this, by the way, but a university is not just uh, a place where you go to try and get ahead in society. Yeah, of course you want to get a good job, but you go there to make good contacts, to enrich yourself as a human being, okay? So I think, you know, we need to keep societal and industry expectations in check in that we will never be able, and we shouldn't ever be able, to produce a perfect graduate. Having said that, we have a responsibility too to get on with the time. So that doesn't mean we should be a uh, sort of ivory tower and you know just uh, let it go and you know <laughs> pull the plug and not care mm-hmm. what industry does. It's really important that we do. But I, what I'm trying to say is there needs to be a fine balance um, in how broad, um, you know, an education is versus how narrow. A- and the way that I usually summarize that, you know, there is this very funny um, you know, phrasal um, uh, phrasal sentence in English, right? Uh, Jack of all trades and master of none. Yeah? Yep. Yeah. 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 To make someone who can dip their ends into anything, but they're not very specific in anything really. So the way that I usually change that and I teach my students is to be a master of all trades, and uh, a jack of all trades, a master of some, mm. right? Okay. So you <laughs> yeah. need to be able to dip your hands in many things, but then there are one or two where you're really sharp, yeah? And so that's how you're going to stand out. But by the same token, you need to be broad enough to be able to have a conversation with people, you know, have people's skills. Um, and then, you know, you're a computer scientist, right? Then you have a general understanding of computer science, and maybe you specialize in AI say but you also understand at a high level what are the main problems in security it'd be really funny if you couldn't understand that yeah very true um, very true so if, if we just create a massive expert in ai or a massive expert in security who has no other people's skills or understanding of computer science that's a disservice to society Very true. i think that's
1: a really interesting answer because I'm first time hearing somebody from the education industry not talking about making people job ready because that's a term being used. And as you correctly said, is that just getting somebody ready for job, uh, it could be actually narrowing the horizon for that particular individual. So
2: I think, I think so to to um, moderate that, you know, that's one big slogans that RMIT uses, by the way. But (laughs) I'm not saying that we shouldn't have them ready for a job. But ready for a job doesn't mean ready to do everything on the job, Hmm. right? Job ready in my my definition means I am ready to get on the job journey. I have lots of skills that are useful for me to learn my whole life.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? That doesn't mean that I go there as a junior software engineer and the senior doesn't have to tell me anything. That's crazy to expect that. That's true. You,
0: you you got to have a mix of both. That's fantastic, man.
2: Yeah, that's what we want, right?
0: Yeah. And what's your audacious dream in the education sector? You know, we have talked about all of these technologies. We talked about the way uh, we are going to completely transform uh, with uh, post-COVID and the businesses are going to operate in a different way. Uh, What is your audacious dream of universities in, let's say, 2030?
2: My biggest dream, well... um... When you told me you were going to ask me this question, I I had no hesitation. Uh, And and I know what that is. And, And what I would really dream is that every university in the world could actually deliver education for free for anyone on the planet. I would really love that. That's my dream. I think if we were able to do that, irrespective of anyone's nationality or anyone's social status, the world would be just better for it, to be honest. I think it's um,
0: fantastic because you you talk about so much disparity in different countries and the yep. way that they are actually investing in cutting edge technologies with China yes. and US leading the way. But what about other countries like even South American countries yep. or even uh, other countries which don't have even classrooms today? So I, I right. quite mm-hmm. love the answer when you talk about free education for all and free education in Uh, Technology that the world actually needs in 2030. Beautiful
2: answer. That's my hope. That's my hope.
1: Awesome. Fabio, concluding thoughts. What would you need from the community and how can people reach out to you?
2: Oh, look, um, as far as I'm concerned, um, I'm not necessarily wanting anything from anyone these days. I I think I I find myself to have been fortunate enough. Um, to be in the job that I love, so th- these days i 'm actually trying to give something back more than anything else uh, if I can of course you know unfortunately i 'm a really busy person you know with this new role as a deputy head of computer science you know there 's lots to be done every day, so many meetings but uh, look if if people google me, they will find my contacts i 'm always happy to talk about uh, these sort of things i 'm always happy to Uh, give talks Um, I I do it routinely actually uh, you know throughout companies and universities and uh, you know sometimes schools I've even given talks at rotary clubs uh, at times uh, talking about AI virtual reality uh, or maybe just the world of education these days so you know if people want to get in touch with me usually you know email is one possibility you'll probably be drowned by uh, you know, my uh, hundreds and thousands of emails every week, but I have a pretty uh, comprehensive LinkedIn profile. Uh, so if people just Google me, they will find me there and I'm relatively active on LinkedIn. So that, that's the best way to get in touch with me uh, to discuss anything. All right. Thank you guys.
0: Thanks for tuning in, my friends. We have got thousands of people listening to this podcast and wanted to thank you all for the love and encouragement so far. Some of you have reached out personally to us and thanked as well for producing great quality content. It would be awesome if you like and follow our LinkedIn page, Inspiring Ideas. And please don't forget to hit the subscribe button from where you are listening. We are across all the key podcast channels, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. We will see you with another great episode next week. Thank you so much.